Welcome to the Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and today's show is brought to you by Uncommon Goods and Indeed.com. For all of us in the Not Old Better Show audience who love to read historical fiction just like me, we have a wonderful guest today in author Lola Jaye. Thank you so much for listening. As I say, we have this great guest today who, after I read her new book, The Attic Child, I have been looking forward to talking to her for a while. I'll introduce her in just a moment. But quickly, if you missed any episodes, last week was our 674th episode, and I spoke to Dr. David Berger to answer your questions about CBD, hemp, THC, and the medical benefits of marijuana. Two weeks ago, in another great interview, I spoke with Stephen Patalo, who is the founder of the Music Video Time Machine. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. If you missed those shows, along with any others, you can go back and check them out, along with my entire back catalog of shows, all free for you there on our website, notold-better.com. And if you leave a review, we will read it at the end of each show, so please leave your reviews on Apple Podcasts for us. As I say, our guest today is author Lola Jaye. Lola Jaye is an author, a registered psychotherapist, and a speaker who has penned six novels and a self-help book. Lola Jaye was born and raised in London, England, and has lived in Nigeria and the United States. And her most recent book, The Attic Child, which is just absolutely wonderful, is this hauntingly powerful and emotionally charged novel about family secrets, love and loss, Identity and Belonging. It is an amazing book, which I can't recommend enough to you. It's about two children trapped in the same attic, almost a century apart, bound by a shared secret. There's two different um, parts of the book that I wanted to share with with you guys today. Um, Just give you a brief background of this first one. And the setting is 1905. And um, I should have mentioned... Dikembe is renamed Celestine when he comes to England. Um, And that's a huge theme of of this book. So um, the scene I'm going to read now is he's been here a few weeks now in England. He's not been told the full story. He's only a a child. So the adults have conspired and done something to get him to England. So he's unsure. But obviously, like many children in that position, he just misses his mum. So I'm going to read a couple pages from that scene, 1905, Celestine. A month or slightly longer, my mama had said. So if half of a month is two weeks, that would make six weeks at most. So why had I been in England for seven weeks? In my mind, the smallest of fires had had already begun to form during the sixth week and by the seventh had turned into a raging inferno. Fueled by the flames, I headed towards Sir Richard's study with each emotion, with such emotion, I forgot to knock on the door. Come in, why don't you? His voice sounded animated. The glass in his hand was empty. Sir, I would like to speak with you. He he placed the glass to one side. I will forgive your intrusion because I'm in the not because I am in the best of moods. I am headed back to Africa, he said. And everything I had been thinking before that moment disappeared. To Africa, I said, sitting on one of the cushioned chairs. Indeed, dear boy, 
I'm to be reunited with that excellent continent once more. A shiver of excitement ran through my body. When do we leave, sir? What date? Oh, dear boy, you're not coming with me. Sir, I said, believing I must have misheard him. Africa is but a huge continent. Of course, but I will be returning into West Africa and to the wonderful kingdom of Benin. I have been before some years ago when it was, let's just say, somewhat in transition. But it is a land so magical in its beauty that I am unable to stay away despite the consequences. I will not be travelling to any part of the Congo. But you could but you could leave me there and I will find my way home and move closer to him just so he could see how serious I was. And how do you intend to do this? His eyebrows rose. Well, sir, I can go on a big ship again. Oh, dear boy, these are ludicrous thoughts you are having. But I do understand what it is to miss home. I myself would be away at boarding school for months at a time. So, yes, I understand your plight. Sir, I must come with you. Dear boy, your mother and I had an agreement. I threatened to fold at the mere mention of her, my sweet, beautiful mama. That's part one. So this is the scene in the classroom. So just to bear in mind, it's a classroom in the, you know, 1905, um, around about that era. So um, it's very old school. Okay, so Dikembe is in the classroom and I'll start now. My eyes took in the rows of boys standing at wooden desks. At the front of the room was a high desk containing a bell. And behind that, a chair facing an audience whose eyes at that moment all appeared to be fixed on me. I followed the instructions set by the teacher, Mr Prentice, himself dressed in a black robe and hat, to sit at an empty desk on the front row. And in doing so, the boy next to me shifted in his seat. The atmosphere felt somewhat similar to Sir Richard's fundraiser, yet unlike then, none of the boys had actually said a word. It is customary for a new boy to introduce himself, explained Mr Prentice. And in my haste, I stood up and banged my thigh against the edge of the desk. The boy beside me sniggered. Start with your name. I thought for a moment, feeling the weight of expectation from my classmates and Mr Prentice. Speak up, boy. My... My name is Dikem... What? My name, sir, is... Speak up! Celestine! Sir, I swallowed and looked around at the expectant faces of the boys I'd met for the first time that day. I closed my eyes quickly and then opened them again. This was not the moment I had imagined it to be. My... My name is Celestine. Celestine what? I looked towards him as if I didn't understand his English. I did, of course. I asked you for your surname. I could hear and feel the collection of sniggers. When I closed my eyes again, I could see my father. My name is Celestine. He moved closer to me, his eyes narrowed. According to signed documents, which secured your enrolment with us, your name is Celestine Barrington. Or am I mistaken? <laughs> 
No, sir, I said, my gaze reaching to the floor. Look at me when I speak to you, he roared, and the entire classroom of boys fell silent. I felt exposed, naked even. Your name, I could feel his breath on my nose, is Celestine Babington, he said. I nodded my head without sincerity. Say it! I am Celestine Babington, and and I am from Africa. Incorrect. Your life is here now, and you must reflect this in your opening statement. Begin again. I swallowed. My name, my name is Celestine Babington, and I am from, I am from this great land that is Britain. Mr. Prentice stood back and nodded approvingly. But of course you are. It doesn't matter where you may have started. This is where you now live. And it is a land that has given you many opportunities, one of which is attending one of the best schools in the country. You may be seated. The couple of guffaws I heard behind me did not fare, did not faze me as much as what I had just been complicit in to deny my entire existence up until my current age, to deny my own father, my family, my country, and to realize just how easy it was becoming to do so. And that, of course, is our guest today, author Lola Jaye, reading from her new book, The Attic Child. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better show on radio and podcast, author Lola Jaye. Lola Jaye, welcome to the program. Hi. It is great to talk to you. We are going to talk about your new book, The Attic Child. Congratulations on this book. What a powerful book. My gosh. I hope you're doing well. I hope all family is well coming after, uh, you know, our our kind of our, our long uh, isolation. But uh, my best to you and everybody. Yeah. Oh. And likewise, yes, we're here. So that's a blessing, <laughs> right? Here. We are here. Absolutely. Well, I love this book, and I appreciate your time. Um, again, we're going to talk about your new book, uh, The Attic Child. This is a true story. It is just fascinating that it is it was 100 years apart. You saw a photograph, and that's what kind of led to the story. Very dramatic. Certainly no spoilers today at all, but <laughs> maybe yeah. – just give us a brief about the book because I think our audience is just going to love this. And it's nice to get kind of a little bit of a say as to kind of the workings of the book, you know, chapter by chapter and, and how it kind of came together for you. Sure. Okay. Well, I'll start right at the beginning. Um, as you rightly mentioned, it started with one photograph that I saw. Um, I decided to go along to the um, National Portrait Gallery. So it's a huge gallery here in Trafalgar Square, London. And they had an exhibition on Black people that existed um, during Victorian times. It's not something you usually hear of. It's not something I hear of, especially in England. Um, maybe in America more so, but in England, never. So I was really curious, went along, and there was all these beautiful photographs. But this one just stood out. I know that they say that when you walk into somewhere and there's a painting and the eyes follow you, but this was different. There was so much in his eyes, whether it was trauma, displacement, it, it was just eerie. And I kept going back to him. And so I said, my, I said to my friend who was beside me, I said, you know what? I need to write a book about this child. Um, he was like 12 years old, 11 or 12 in the photograph. And I said, I have to. I don't know who he is, but I'm going to find out. So 
I did some research and I found out that his name was Ndugu Mahali um, and that he came over to England in the late 1800s but via an explorer. I never like to say the names of the explorer, so I'll just say it once, Stanley. And basically, he was brought over here. I don't really know the circumstances of how that happened, but he was a young child. He went to school here. He was um, in society, so to speak. And so these photographs were so unique to me because he was wearing you know, very westernized attire, you know, leather shoes, a suit. Um, and so it was fascinating to me. So I know you said at the beginning that it's a, it's a true story. Yes, that part of it is. But he unfortunately died at the age of 12. Um, and I found that out on that day. And so what I've now done, I've reimagined the, the rest of his life, the way I think it might have gone. Or maybe part of it is the way I, I hoped some of it would have gone. Um, so yes, it's it's a reimagining the rest of the story. Yeah, well, thank you for that. It it is wonderful. What inspired you to write historical fiction? Because I think that's a, yeah. you know, it, it's a, mm-hmm, it's just excellent. Well, I didn't start off that way. I you know, but it, I just kind of fell into it because, mm-hmm. again, with that curiosity that I had to go into the to, the to the gallery to see these photographs of Victorian people that were black, I have this fascination um, with kind of proving that black people were in England before Windrush. So Empire Windrush is always spouted as the time when there was this mass exodus of black people from their country to this to this country. But no, we were here in Tudor times. So each time I'm doing a book, I think I'm just going further back. So I did a book set during World War II. That was, you know, probably the first time I really went into historical fiction. You know, and then I did one in the it's set in the 30s, partly in the 30s, 20s. So I'm just going further back now. Um so now I'm, I mean, I'm currently writing a new book set in, you know, 1850, but The Attic Child is set primarily in, you know, between 1903 mm-hmm. um, onwards. And in my research review, I found that your first book was published in 2008. Is that well, right? Wow, I feel so aged when you say that, but... um. No, no, don't. I'm 65. Uh, you know, people <laughs> look great, so you're good. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you. But, um, yeah, 2008, it was called By the Time You Read This. And um, it was about a father who was dying and left the manual to his daughter. So um, it's not exactly historical fiction, but I found myself then even writing about the past. This is something about the past that really, it just, it just interests me. I want to know what, who came before. I mean, I live in a, I live in a Victorian house, um, an apartment, well, it's now made into apartments, but, you know, even the house I live in, it was actually constructed during Victorian times. I mean, the history this house must have, I'm just so fascinated with it. And if there's a way that I can actually write about it, then nothing, I'm in yeah. a very privileged position. Well, uh, thank you for the compliment. Uh, you know, I'm looking at a picture of you and, and you look great too you you look like you're very happy you've got a big smile on your face in the picture that i'm looking at you and you're a you're an author of course um you're a psychotherapist and a writing coach yes. and a speaker my goodness you just have this big grin on your face you you uh, are doing it all <laughs> how do you find time for all Trying to, I I still actually find time for self care. I'm always a mm-hmm. huge advocate of mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. So there's times when I'll just do nothing the entire day except watch reality TV. <laughs> I need to my brain. Yeah, have no shame. So no, no um, shame. My brain. <laughs> it needs to. I need to like just disconnect with everything and everybody. So 
my body tells me when I need to do that. So I think I'm getting better at that now. We will be right back with author Lola Jai, but I wanted to mention our sponsor today, Uncommon Goods. Yep, Uncommon Goods. There are lots of holidays that are approaching, and all of us in the Not Old Better Show audience likely have pretty big lists. I have a new daughter-in-law. Both my sons are in relationships that I'll need to consider multiple gifts for. And my mom just moved. (laughs) 92. She needs a gift for just moving. (laughs) Seriously, though, I always try to get gifts that avoid the boring, avoid the bland gifts, and be better this year. Remember, we try to talk about better here, and now we can do better, especially when it comes to gift giving. Uncommon Goods is your secret weapon. Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Whether you're shopping for your secret Santa or, like me, for my entire family, Uncommon Goods knows exactly what they want. Here are a few of my favorite gifts that I have found on their website. Again, we're going to put the site name and URL in our website, but it's Uncommon Goods. I have found this great, very uncommon men's bracelet that will be ideal for my sons, not to give anything away here. The handmade jewelry for my wife and daughter-in-law are fantastic. And the amazing lists of categories where you can find gifts by interest are more than helpful. Check out the teens section if you're a grandparent and you've got grandchildren or the subscription series where you'll find gifts like the Sleep Well subscription. That's right, Sleep Well subscription, which includes everything that a light sleeper like my wife (laughs) might need to catch more Z's. When you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. These fine products are often made in small batches. So shop now before they sell out this holiday season. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade, or are just made in the United States with all the quality that that brings. They have the most meaningful out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere. From art and jewelry to kitchen, home, and bar, Uncommon Goods has something for everyone. Not the same lackluster gifts you can find just anywhere. Hey, and with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back a dollar to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date. So to get 15% off of your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash notoldbetter. That's uncommongoods.com slash notoldbetter. All of this will be in the show notes today. But by going to uncommongoods.com slash notoldbetter, you will get 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer and these wonderful limited gifts. Uncommon Goods is out of the ordinary. Thanks, everybody. One more quick mention of our sponsor, Indeed.com. If you and your business have ambitious hiring goals for the last quarter of 2022, well, you need a powerful hiring partner because big goals are no big deal. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed's instant match assessments and virtual interviews. You know, 
something I've loved about Indeed, and I've used it a ton, both as a business and then as a job seeker. It makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed helps you see your top talent's abilities in a flash by adding any of 135 graded assessment tests to your job posts. You can select for the skills that matter. With Indeed assessments, you can pick from over 100 skills tests and add them to your job post. That way, you can find candidates with the right skills fast. Indeed assessments can even give you a window into how candidates will be on the job. On average, applicants who scored proficient plus on the reliability assessment were nearly eight times more likely to consistently attend work according to the U.S. Indeed data. Indeed assessments help take the stress out of the hiring process. Candidates get to show their skills before the interview so that you can dive deeper into talking about what's important to you. 81%, I think this is an amazing statistic, 81% of U.S. online job seekers search for jobs on Indeed.com each month, according to Comscore. Start hard. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to sponsor your job post at Indeed.com slash podcast. Offer is good for a limited time, but claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. All this will be in our show notes today, but terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. We are back with author Lola Jaye. Lola Jaye, I, I just wanted to say, you wrote the book at a, at a very interesting time because we, and I kind of mentioned yeah. this, yeah, and so uh, was it difficult to, you know, the, the subject of racism is, is, is present in, in the book because this yeah. young man was only 12 and yet he's described as being a companion. And I just thought to myself, yeah. gosh, that's, yeah. Yeah. So maybe talk a little bit about that. That must have been a difficult. What was the research like in doing it? Was that hard? Was that traumatic for yeah. you? It was quite harrowing. And it's so, gl- so glad you mentioned the time frame because 2020 was like no other for anyone in this world. So we had this, you know, virus that we didn't know was, was going on. And in England, I don't know what it was like in your part of America. I know it was different in different parts of America, but we had a strict stay at home order. Like you could only go out for like an hour. And you, you'd be issued with a fine if you were caught. So I'm at home, I guess not isolated like my characters, but I was at home, not really allowed to go anywhere. And I was writing about these two children locked in an attic. So there, you have a, simil- a slight similarity there. But the sh- biggest similarity was the fact that I put on the TV and every discussion was about racism for, for the first time ever. Um, and ironically, I was writing about an explorer and then I was watching videos of statues of explorers being torn down in, you know, various parts of the world. And I thought, oh, my gosh, it's literally art imitating life or life imitating art, whichever one. And I've never been in that position before. When I've written a book, it's always been in isolation. But this time it was merging with the rest of society, the world. So as a black person, I was being re-triggered by this horrific video that kept being shown, which I am thankful to say I've never actually watched. But um, I'm being re-triggered by all the discussions that are going on. And then I'm writing about it. Um, and I'm writing about this little boy um, who's 
in all intents and purposes, being traumatized by taking being taken away from his country. So yeah, it was bizarre. And I was very thankful for my own therapist. Um, every therapist should have a therapist. I had mine that I could see over Zoom. And and just as I said, take time away from it. But what was more horrific about this research is that is the fact that the atrocities that um that I touch on, I don't really um, go into detail, but the atrocities that went on in the Congo um, during the time it was the Congo Free State, um, there's, there's photographs that exist because it wasn't that long ago. So sometimes I would come across these, you know, children with no limbs and I, and I just think, no, stop. We need to stop for today. I'm not going to do this to myself. Um, and that's when reality TV came in such handy <laughs> or I would utilize my hour. We were allowed an hour a day of exercise, go out. We had a, mm-hmm. a great summer, so go to the park or whatever. But I had to be really, um, yeah, I had to really be open to the fact that I could be affected by this for sure. I'm only human. Yeah, of course. I what I thought was so fascinating, because the book does go back and forth uh, between different time periods. So how did that make writing mm-hmm. about this this very difficult subject of racism, the social commentary piece I'm referring to now, how did that make that either difficult or hard to do? Because it, it, it did take on a different um, kind of almost uh, sense throughout the book, depending on the time period. Yeah, absolutely. So for, for those of your listeners who don't know, I'm writing about um, a black child in 1900 and 1904 onwards, and also a white child in in the 1990s, um, and they're connected in some way. Um, And as you quite quite rightly pointed out, the themes are very similar. And that's the sad part about it, that even 100 years, almost 100 years later, some stuff has changed, but some stuff has, cha- has stayed the same, I should say. Whether this be, um, you know, the abuse of children, um, racism or so forth, it's still there. And I think I didn't set out to, to show that, but while I was writing it, it just came alive in that way. Um, it wasn't that hard to write a dual timeline. All I did was I wrote the 1900s um, section and then I wrote the 1990 section and somehow I merged them like a jigsaw <laughs> and it just worked, you know, that way. That's the only way I can say it clearly because I always get asked that question um, with a dual timeline. Did it get confusing? It never did because both of those children had such strong voices and I pretty much, I don't want to sound too pretentious, but I pretty much immersed myself, especially in, in Dikembe's character. It's almost like he just was just there all the time and so I was able to kind of embody both of them in some way so it sounds so pretentious I apologize but to write it that way it wasn't difficult yeah no not at all I I, you don't sound pretentious in any any way I think the book is fascinating and I think our audience is going to really enjoy that aspect of it because I think historical fiction is it's a way for us to learn and um I I enjoy it for for that reason. I think it, many of my audience, you know, we we know here in our country of um, a woman leader, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. You probably are aware too, but mm-hmm. she had this wonderful saying called "It takes a village." And many in our audience uh, are older, um, yet they still have um, 
you know, very real relationships with uh, their children and their grandchildren. And so I'd, I'd like to know from you, what do you want our audience to walk away from in reading the book about child abuse and and mental health, because I think our audience is going to, they're going to be curious about that subject. Yeah. I mean, obviously as a therapist, mental health is really close to my heart. And I think for years there's been a stigma, right? And it's only recently, um, especially with social media, um, people are starting to talk more about it, but even then it's always a sanitized version. And I understand that, but there is another side to mental health that is not sanitized. It's not, it's not about quotes. It's not about, you know, just I don't know drink seven glasses of water a day and you'll feel good it's raw it's painful it's traumatic and I kind of wanted to get that across but also to leave the reader with some hope it's not hopeless but there's going to be some wow there's going to be some valleys you're going to be walking in and you're going to feel it but you're going to be okay at the end of it and I'm really conscious of that because I'm not, I don't want to peddle, I don't know, trauma porn, I think that the word is. That's that's not my aim. I think with this particular story, I had to write it. It was something in me that it, it just had to happen. But even in that, there has to be some joy. And without giving spoilers away, yes, I, I you know, from all the readers that have written to me, they've all said that they, they left the book with hope. And that's all I could really wish for. So I'm not going to sanitize mental health because it, it's 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 a lot. But what I will say is that it can get better. Um, and it's important that we look for these signs in people. And we we hear people when they t- tell us that they're suffering. And I think with these two children, they were never heard. They just were, were literally never heard. They were just left to their own devices. And even as adults, they still wasn't being heard. So um, that's really what I, I want to, to people to take away from it, that there's hope for sure. But equally, mental health is not the sanitized version that we're comfortable with. I, you know, as a psychotherapist, and again, I, as I was reading, I was thinking about you in that, in that regard. And in, in talking about this idea of hope, because that is real, and you can take that away. The subject of happiness struck me too, as one, mm-hmm. I think we're all, you can walk away with this idea of hope. And I think we're all striving to be happy. And I wonder if you, you, thought about that too with regard because these are these are you know they're children after all absolutely and also it's important to show that it's a journey and it's a process that you don't just suddenly get cured you're going to need a certain people around you um you're going to need certain people around you but also because of your experiences you may push people away so it's a catch-22 isn't it really um but ultimately the strength is there and it does lie within you somewhere. And sometimes you might not actually see it. That's the thing. You might not see it. Yeah. The the other thing that struck me too is this idea of home. And the book, of mm. course, is, is The Attic Child. And, and so, again, without giving away too many spoilers here, what, what makes a home? Oh, that's a deep question. I think... If I can draw on my own experiences, I think I've been quite nomadic in my in my mm. time on this earth so far. Um, and I've actually lived in America for three years um, at one point. Um, and I've lived, yeah, I've lived in Africa. Obviously, and England is is my home, inverted commas. But I just feel that home is wherever you are, 
as opposed to bricks and mortar. Um, and I think you have to feel safe in your home, you know, and that's the thing that these children didn't have. Um, Dikembe obviously had it in the beginning, but even the, the place where he grew up with that was safe, it was beginning to become unsafe, as you see in the first few chapters. So to me, home can be anywhere, but you have to feel safe first. You have to. And it doesn't mean you may, you know, feeling threats of violence or safe can just be something even something even smaller than that. Just it's a feeling that I feel safe here. A, I feel heard. I can be myself without judgment. It can mean so many different things for different people. But I think that's the most important thing. We know, obviously, you need shelter, you need food, you need warmth. That's the stuff that you need. But the but the main thing after all of that is safety. Mm-hmm. I need to feel safe. What did you learn about you in in writing this? That's, hmm, that's a good question. As I've mentioned before, I mean, I've, I've written seven books before, but this was unique to me because it's never been about a real person. Obviously, that was the basis of the novel. And I just felt, I felt this child's presence and he he actually didn't leave until the 5th of May this year. So he'd been hanging around. I just felt that. So I, guess, I know it's really weird, but I guess what I learned about myself is that, um, well, I can definitely work under pressure. I mean, at that point I was working for our national health service. So I hadn't gone, I hadn't started my private practice since I was working the national health service. We were, you know, the health service was just inundated. So I was doing that wrote the book and all this turmoil was going on in the world. So I know I can write under pressure. So that's pretty good. Um, I learned that about myself. Um, but also, hmm, I learned that I can be hopeful also because what I'm writing about is so dark, but also what's going on in the world is dark. So there's proof that we live in, we live in a lot of darkness, but I find the hope in everything. And I hope that's reflected in the pages of the book. They do. The book is is excellent. Again, our guest is Lola Jai. Lola Jai has written the new book, The Attic Child's getting great reviews online. I'll just read one review that I found from Tracy Chevalier, the New York Times bestselling author of The Girl with a Pearl Earring. Tracy says, The Attic Child is an impressive feat of imagination and a great example of how one photograph can inspire a whole world. The interleaked stories of two children moved and upset me in all the right ways. This is important storytelling about issues of race and privilege and abuse and a book that will stay with me for a long time. Wonderful stuff, as I say, moving. And um, and these characters are so warm and likable. The book is again titled The Attic Child. It's by our guest today, Lola Jaye. Lola Jaye, Congratulations on on this fantastic book. Thanks for sharing some time with us. Thanks especially for reading. You picked two just fantastic passages. Again, my hat's off to you. Wonderful job. And um, please be well and write more and stay in touch with us when you do. That's great. Thank you so much. It's great news. I, I really enjoyed it. My thanks to Uncommon Goods and Indeed.com for all they do to support the show. Please support our sponsors who in turn support the show. Check out our sponsor links 
in our show notes today. My thanks to award-winning author Lola Jai for her generous time and for reading from her new book, The Attic Child. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience on radio and podcast. Please be well. And please be safe, which I am telling you here on every show, followed by my message to eliminate assault rifles. Only members of the military use these weapons. Assault rifles are killing our children and grandchildren in the very places they learn, school. Let's do better. Let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show, author interview series, here on radio and podcast. Thanks, everybody, and we will see you next week. Today's show was edited for Link. To hear the full interview, please check out our website for this episode and all episodes at notold-better.com or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and be sure to leave a five-star review or comment wherever you get your podcasts. Our Twitter feed is NotOldBetter and we're on Instagram at NotOldBetter too. The Not Old Better Show is a production of NOBS Studios. I'm Paul Vogelzang. And I hope you'll join me again next time to talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody.